Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for the 14th of May 2014 and joining me for this edition are Assistant Editor Steve Withers Warrior of the Wasteland, the Ayatollah of Rock and Roller News Editor Mark Hodgkinson I'm just here for the gasoline Games Editor Mark Botwright Greetings from the humongous And Audio Reviewer Ed Selly The last of the V8 Interceptors, a piece of history So we are back for another podcast and uh, I've got a funny feeling that this week is again going to be on subject for at least half of it anyway. We have moved that question from last week to this week. It will get answered. Uh, So if you're wondering whether um, we want to uh, die via crocodile or shark, then uh, stick around for the second half of the podcast. But we're going to kick off straight away now with a little article that Mark did on the front page. And it seemed to be very popular with lots of uh, people taking part. And the question was, uh, what will make you buy a 4K TV? So, um, Mark, what was the gist of your article and, and what's the replies been yeah just a bit of a state of the nation 4k nation where we were at uh, manufacturers hopes so the 2013 2012 there's been a slump in in global sales for um, flat panels um, obviously the mainstream markets have been uh, saturated now so the the hope is that 4k can stimulate the market um, it was it was a, a report from future source uh, consulting that spurred it on. Um, they were said they were predicting one uh, percent growth for the total panels for next year, uh, but by the year two thousand and eighteen, they were saying forty two percent of all TVs sold will be four K in the Western markets. So um, it just prompted me to think, what's going to be you know the, the tipping point for well for me perhaps and and for, and for the readers um, when they were going to buy into four K. Uh, and posed a few questions at the end um, and got lots of fantastic replies, actually. It was really, really gratifying. Um, <laughs> <That's nice laughs> yeah. so, well, it just yeah, goes so. to prove that at least some people read what, what's put yeah. up there. Yeah, it does, yeah. And they all answered the questions perfectly on message and there's been no bickering. It's been an amazing thread so far. Okay. Um, I think the, it, it kind of splits into sort of three or four um reasons why or reasons why you might buy in um or, or at the point where you think it's worth it um primarily it, it seemed to be content and and price probably an equal split i didn't do it i didn't do a pie chart i was going too early but i forgot um but I, I, from the replies it was price and content are, are the primary things it's, it's a it's a radio show um mark so a pie chart <laughs> no yeah but i would have had it in front of me i could have, i could have, i could have given you yeah but we'd have gotten hard a re- numbers we'd have gotten a recipe on how to make the pie chart we, yeah, we could, we could do a steve hill Short and crust check pie the show chart. notes later <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, next time. That's what work. What's what work towards? Um, or even a Venn. Could have done a Venn diagram. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, mutually exclusive areas. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so co- I think content probably comes out comes out the, the top. Uh, and most of our readers uh, and members do want the, the physical format. So it's 4K Blu-ray or nothing for some people. Um, uh, Poison Jam. Uh, there's a, ch- a, ch- a chap uh, from Glasgow who says he can't he can't get a, a decent internet connection uh, where he is and, and can't see that changing. So he has to he has to have a physical format. So there's an Ian forty two felt felt the same as well. He can't get the internet connection. He he wants physical. Um, Dom the one was the same. It, that everything else he says is a total non-stroke side issue. So cost is is irrelevant to him. Content um, is the thing. That, that drives him on. So some interesting things there, um, but, but I think th- I think we can take the consensus that our readership certainly want a, a physical format from that um, price. I think I, th- I think the consensus seems to be certainly early on that 65 inch 
uh, 4K set for around 2,500. So that the size comes into it. But I think people realise that you know 42, 42 inches really isn't going to do it unless you sat you know quite on top of it. Um, so, which you know quite quite surprising. You can actually go out and buy a 65 inch 4K for two and a half thousand. So I don't know what's stopping those people. Um, of course, there could be the standards, which was which was one thing. Uh, people wary of the um, the specs changing. Um, so. Pertinently, that would be um, in, increased color spaces and, and frame rates, which the current crop of TVs probably couldn't keep up with. And could be fair to say, um, OLED was another big another big factor. Um, lots of people not satisfied with um, LED stroke LCD as the technology to drive 4K. So it has uh, Vizim. Uh, I think it's Vizim. Andy, we know him as as well. Uh, OLED. It must be OLED for him. He sees no point in buying an LCD in any res. Um, so th- th- he was he was certainly one. Chevy on fuel, aka John. He's waiting for a JVC 4K projector before he he buys in. Good luck with uh, that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it wasn't the question to be honest, John. We we're asking about TVs. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then, trying. Yeah, well done, thanks. And, uh, and someone was even holding out for a holographic TV, which was uh, yeah, good, uh, good, good, good luck. We'll see you yeah, in good luck with that too. Yeah. Then I'll, I'll see you when you're dead on that one. Sorry. Wait for uh, the holodeck. And that, that's kind of a summary of it. So, but yeah, the basic uh, things were. Um, Price and content probably was content being yeah, the overriding con- thing. Content's definitely the the major one, and and I think something that we do forget, and it's something that was that I was reminded of last week, is that you know um, we're all enthusiastic and, and we're all you know eager about the new technology that's coming up, and certainly for for myself, Mark, uh, Steve, and Ed, we're showing things well in advance of uh, when these things usually come to market as well, and. I think there's a little bit of us all sort of getting ahead of ourselves on this yeah. uh, and getting our head ahead of ourselves when it comes to 4K as well. And uh, uh, we're going to go into it in a little bit, but I was at Netflix uh, headquarters last week and it was kind of drilled home to me there that, hang on, you're a, you're a Navy journalist. You get to see these things nice and quick. You're just impatient. And in the real world, things move a lot slower. Yeah, I think that, I think that's very fair comment, isn't it? I mean, Netflix have been quite open in it in, in what they've said, and they're in it just you know because it's good to be in it at the start. Then you know they, they realistically know that there's only a tiny percentage of them. Yeah, yeah that... totally. I mean, they started off as as a disgruntle, the same as Love, Love Film in this country. So um, you know, this time around, they're right at the forefront of of a new piece of tech, and they want to be right in there at the start. And um, it's gonna it, it's gonna take time for it to develop and and that was the main message that we got mostly last week regarding 4k um so 4k blu-ray it could still be coming steve you know that doesn't have to be that doesn't have to be a rush you know because that was one thing that that was mentioned well let's go into the netflix thing because it was quite interesting that was one thing that was mentioned was that studios are still very reluctant to sign up to anything at the minute so that includes streaming so this idea that streaming has already won the battle and Netflix is going to have loads of 4K content. Uh, not the case. Uh, certainly for this year, they're going to have Breaking Bad, uh, probably in June, there's going to be 4K. And then they couldn't tell us anything else. They did say we might have one or two other bits and pieces, but there was no major announcement and no hints of anything major. And the one thing that they kept saying to us was when the licensing agreements are signed, which kind of points to the fact that you know film studios are probably still looking at how they're going to monetize 4K and uh, Ultra HD. It's it's moving forward in terms of the hardware. So the hardware has to come first before there's 
a general interest in uh, in the technology. So we're seeing that bit happening now. That's going to happen in the next year. And a sort of time frame that was put on it, but it was more a personal opinion than the opinion of Netflix, was probably a year and a half from now before things start to really sort of ramp up. What's your feelings on that, Steve? I think there's two things that occur to me when we talk about this uh, and from what you've just said about what Netflix told you last week, which is if the studios are, I, mean, I can understand why the studios are reluctant to support a new disc-based 4K format because I think as Ed pointed out a couple of weeks ago, they don't want to release what are basically, you know, studio masters into the into the marketplace that can then be hacked into, broken and, and copied. Fair enough. I think they also quite like the idea of controlling the revenue streams, cutting out the middleman and going straight to the end consumer. Again, fair enough. I think the fact that Netflix, who admittedly are not, have never been big on recent movies on their on their platform. I mean, it tends to be much more older films, independent movies, uh, and and TV series. Um, but it would suggest to me that the studios might be thinking more along the lines of finding a way of delivering stuff through their own platform, which wouldn't surprise me either. Uh, and that's bad news. But you don't want to. That's that's kind of plucked out the air. I mean, where where are you getting your? No, no. I'm just saying, you know, if they're you just said Netflix was saying the studios are still evaluating situation that includes streaming. Yeah, well, that the, might, that might yeah, suggest that they, what was suggested was that they're trying to monetize it. So they're looking at the best way to monetize mm. it and the best way to, to push that. And the best way for them to monetize it is to deliver it directly to the consumer, right? If they can. Is, is, is that if it's technologically possible and they have the infrastructure in place, obviously that's expensive in its own right. Using a third party that's already done all that, like Netflix, makes sense. I just think, you know, I just, it's just, I just, what I don't want to end up in a situation where, I mean, first of all, I would prefer to have a physical format if possible. But secondly, if it has to be streaming or downloading of some form, you don't want to be going to multiple different service providers yeah. uh, just to get hold of one film. And that's just going to be a disaster, isn't it, from our perspective? Yeah, which is um, why I think Netflix are trying to get in at the ground up. I think that's, yeah, that's, no, that's no, what and, they're, and, they're trying and to Netflix, do at the minute. You know, the good thing about Netflix is they produce their own quality content. So yes, I know at the moment it's just House of Cards, but presumably they could also do Orange is the New Black. They could do uh, Hemlock Grove. They could do um, you know Lilyhammer and other stuff that they're producing. They've just done a new series, uh, or a series based upon From Dusk Till Dawn. If this stuff is being shot in 4K, it then is. they create their own content so that's great news that means there will be a lot more of their own content which isn't going to be restricted by what the studios want to do so that could be a, a really good driver of 4k content for, for for the marketplace generally but i think the problem we've always got and it's the same with any new format is it's chicken and egg isn't it there's the studios who don't want to put stuff out till there's an established um, you know display base but people aren't going to be in the habit of buying new TVs or projectors if there's no promise of content to watch yep. on them. So it's kind of which one's going to give way first. Yeah, well, you know, this was something else that was pointed out last week because I think it was a kind of the, the, the trainer questioning that, that was, was being presented. Um, is, how long did it take HD to catch hold? Yeah, long time, and, yes. And, Five, yeah, no, it's, it's taken a decade, at least a decade for it to, to, to come on to where we are now. And if you look at the landscape now, Everything's not HD yet. There's still a hell of a lot of SD. So I, I think, again, it was pointed out, we're maybe trying to, to run before we can walk when it comes to 4K, and it's going to take time. And I think it, when we say we, I think it's the manufacturers are shoving it down people's throats right now because they desperately want something new to sell. Well, there is, that, but, there is that, but then you, you have to have... Something has to come first 
to to create the demand. So yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you know at the moment I don't think most of the people in in in, well, in the UK, for example, are crying out for a 4K display or even 4K content. I mean, as you said, a lot of them are still just trans, tra- transitioning to high def or you know haven't even maybe bought a Blu-ray player yet. So it's not as though there's a big demand for it. There isn't actually any content, but the manufacturers, you know, they need to have something new to sell, and this is what they're going to push heavily over the next few years but at the moment i think we're in the very early stages there's no content there's no agreed standards it's difficult to really if someone asked you honestly should i buy a 4k tv it's difficult to say to them yeah go for it mate because you're thinking well you, you don't know we've got no idea where we're going to be in a year or two years time yeah exactly and that's where we were with, with hd for hd for a long time yeah. it was yeah upscaled. and people got burnt unfortunately doing yeah. that yeah i mean stuff was, yeah exactly uh, I, I, so. I did i must say to me i bought a, a 720p projector they used DC, uh, um, dvi and then along came HDMI and HDCP, and I was buggered. Uh, so not you never f- know. Not the first time. <laughs> that's to pay for the new projector. <laughs> <laughs> Ed, what's your thoughts? Someone that used to be in the industry. Well, I'm content to, to wait. Um, I, I think your, your comments about the length of time it's taken for HD to reach the level of sort of um, coverage that we have now. Um, I'm not so... Um, het up about physical formats. We had this discussion last podcast I was on. Um, but I am really kind of keen to have more of my broadcast TV in that in, in 4K before I would make any effort to have one in the house. Um, having it simply to watch bits and bobs of Netflix and so on and so forth just isn't going isn't gonna to cut it. I, um, I, I didn't feel the urge to move from a Panasonic PWD6, which was, I mean, obviously that could sort sometimes, if the wind was blowing in the right direction and the stars were in alignment, could technically show an HD picture, but it was just so much of an effort, I never bothered. Um, it wasn't until 2008 that I actually bought a uh, an HD TV, um, because by that stage, there was a BBC HD channel, Channel 4 HD was showing, and there was just enough stuff that you didn't feel that it was just a uh, it was it was an event product. It was actually doing something most of the time, and I think I'm going to adhere to very similar rules for for 4K. I'm I'm in no no great rush. Uh, I've got my GT60. I'm happy enough with that for the foreseeable future. Um, I'll I also have never owned an LCD television. I don't really want to start now, so I'm going to see how that pans out over at least the next two to three years. And, and, and see where we are at that point, I think is probably the fairest. fairest. I mean, um, obviously, I still, I guess I still count as an early, early adopter in these, in these regards, but I would, I would say I'm definitely later in terms of adoption, in terms of video stuff than... than yeah, I mean, I, that, that makes sense. You know, your eyes aren't no. very good, so... That, you no, know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not. I can understand that. Ed, Ed, when did you say you bought your first high-def display? Um, 2010, did you uh, say? Well, no, there's a trick answer to 2008, but the, I did actually own a Pioneer 434 all the way back in 2003, 2004, but I sold that to buy furniture when I bought my house because I had residual value back then. Um, <laughs> so then and, I, and I literally went from having a Pioneer... 43-inch Pioneer Plasma to a 28-inch JVC CRT. But on the same token, I had a sofa to sit on to watch it. So <laughs> I, I felt that it was an acceptable trade-off at right, the time. So we'll say to, for the sake of argument here. Yeah, 2008. Uh, Phil, when did you get your first high-def display? Uh, first high-def display. Let's have a think about this. 2005? You're counting 720p on that, yeah? Yeah, 720. Yeah. It was 2005. And uh, Mark? 
Um, mind the mark at this point. Uh, 2005, just a, a week after my first child was born. I thought you were going to say a week after me, and I was going to say, how did you know that? <laughs> I was following you about unbeknownst to you. Mr. Bartley? Uh, I Honestly, I have no idea. Uh, I, it probably would have been, I don't know, maybe like 2006, 2007, something about that. Okay, I was, cool. I was 2003, so, um, you know, that's a long time before Blu-ray existed. Or, But let me ask you, was that as much driven by the idea of the content or was, to a certain extent, form factor, something that you considered? Because I know a lot of people who went from kind of SD sets to HD sets and the actual kind of upping of resolution wasn't as, as key to them right. as simply you're getting a bigger screen and you don't have to sit it on, you know, a TV stand that has to be, you know, reinforced <laughs> yeah. with concrete blocks to do so. Yeah, or well, it's really so slim. There, Definitely. Yeah, there are a huge amount of people out there who, who have HD sets who still haven't really jumped past DVD. But there's a lot of people out there who have HD sets that don't know if they put 101 in their Freeview tuner, they get BBC and HD. You know, they're still watching the SD channels. Yeah, true. I mean, it's a good question, actually. Good point, Mark, you make, because thinking about it, when I bought my 720p projector in 2003, I mean, there was no HD content to watch on it. It was still a long way off. I think I just did it on... I, I bought into the whole better upscaling for for DVD and making it look, you know, for the big screen projection, it was going to help in some way. Yeah, I mean, it, those were the days where the forums were, you know, 5,000 members, and <laughs> we were all... Um, the type that on a Sunday night we all got together for a bit of a chat and <laughs> find out, you know, what the latest news was with HD and, and what people were adding to the system. A lot of people were buying external scaling uh, yeah. devices and, and spending thousands on, on stuff like that, which you look back on it now and you think, Jesus, what an enormous amount of money just to upscale a DVD at 720. Yeah, yeah well, no, I, I, I bought a Ferrugia, it cost me thousands. I have to admit, when I bought the Pioneer, I wasn't really, I, I, I didn't have that much consciousness. I think you're exactly right, Mr. Bottler. I wasn't that that aware I was buying something with a substantively higher resolution than the big CRTs I'd bought before. I was simply looking for something which didn't have appalling geometry issues. Um, and it, it dealt with that nicely enough. So, yeah, I, uh, I guess that there are. So my, my point is that there there are reasons for buying something. I think we've all made points now that valid reasons for buying something other than just because of there's yep. content out there to watch on it. Yeah, totally. And you know, this the the, the thing that everybody's pushing at the minute. And, and when I say everybody, I mean manufacturers. Is that uh, the all the TVs upscale uh, Blu-ray mm. and and so on. And and that's one of their selling points at the minute. Um, just sticking with 4K before we move on, uh, Mark, you've got a Samsung TV in for review uh, this week, a 4K TV. Uh, it has the Netflix application on it uh, for 4K and you have been able to watch it in 4K and I did last week. I watched it at House of Cards. What were your thoughts? I preface this by saying that I literally watched it for five minutes so I didn't really get a massive chance. But there was a, a, there was something that hit me straight away was in the title sequence. It's, um, it's just... It's a nothing shot, really, but it's just a, a road uh, um, illuminated by some street lights, and it was the, it was the level of detail in the tarmac was incredible. Uh, it was it was it was astonishingly you know lifelike and, and vivid. Uh, and then there was an, just another shot. I think it was I think it was um, episode one of season two, uh, one of the in, in one of the offices, and there's just a picture frame uh, that with that 
gilt gold um, edging to it. And there was just a real detail to that that I don't think would be present at a 1080p um, so noticeably. So there was there was just a couple of things, just a sheen and a sparkle about it, and it, it was incredibly impressive. And it, it loaded up. It loaded up within 10 seconds, and then it didn't buffer once. It was, yeah, impressive, really impressive. Few in distance? Uh, at that point, what was I two, two inches. About, about <laughs> a foot, no, about, uh, no, about eight foot, seven and a half, eight, eight foot. Okay, that's reasonable. Um, yeah, that's so I, I was on a 84-inch uh, LG screen watching it um, from about 12 feet. And I think you, that was at the limit of certainly in terms of resolution. I would I would say I'd want to be a bit closer actually. Yeah. Um, what were your connections like? Very good. No buffering at all. But I mean speed. Very fast. Mine's I've got I've got a twenty meg connection and it, you need fifteen and there was zero. I mean to be fair, I went and shut everything off the internet before yeah. I tried it. <laughs> but there was there was no issues at that point. And and the, the time of day I watched TV, which is late at night and. I, I don't know, Mark, I was Silicon Valley and somebody's office, so I've no idea what the connection yeah. was, but there was no buffering or anything like that. It, uh, it was not not, not on the ten minutes sort or of ten minutes I tried. It was it was spot, spot on. Perfect. So given that there's only one, you know one one season. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to watch all that, and then that's the only compelling reason to own a 4K TV. Gone for the few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> at least until until June. Until and then June, break, yeah, Breaking break Bad. bad. Yeah, get, get another it's one in an there. Excuse to watch the whole series again, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I guess coming back to the original point, Mark, and the original article is that there's lots of reasons. There's not one given reason as to why people will upgrade if they do upgrade to 4K. And there's no stopping the the 4K bandwagon at the minute. Uh, Certainly manufacturers um, all over the shop bring out their 4K TVs. Prices are dropping almost on a monthly basis. So the only thing holding things up is content. But like we discussed, going back to the whole HD when it came around, first time around, we were still waiting for that a long time after the prices came down to reasonable levels for HD kits. So we'll just have to wait and see, I think, on that one. Uh, right, so we're going to move on quickly. Last week I was out in San Francisco, went to um, Silicon Valley, was invited out there by LG. Now, you might remember our uh, CES video with Steve, uh, with Darren on the LG stand. And we went through the WebOS smart TV system. And Dan gave us a bit of a demonstration of that. And we were really quite impressed with it, Steve, when we saw it. Um, you know, when you look at traditional smart TV platforms, uh, basically what they are is, is what you would find on a mobile phone or a smartphone or, or a tablet, just blown up to 55 inches or 60 inches and quite clunky. Although Samsung did do a, a, a really good job with their system, uh, which I think we gave a, a reference status badge to last year, 2013. So... There's certainly good systems out there, but WebOS is just completely different. So before I go into what we were shown on, on this particular trip, Steve, maybe you want to yeah, you know, remind people what the system was that we saw in January at CES. Well, what amazed me about it, at it was, and you've said this just now, Phil, is that previous smart platforms, that, regardless of how sophisticated they were, always felt bolted on. So there was a TV... And then there was a smart platform that you left the TV from and went into the smart platform. It never felt like it was an integral part of the television itself. My first impression with WebOS when I saw it was that it was organic. It felt like that is not something that's added onto the TV. It is the TV. And 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 so what they've done is they've, take, they've approached the concept of smart television from the ground up and totally changed the way it works. So everything, including live broadcasts, is now treated as an app. 
So yeah. what that means is that everything you're doing within that TV, you know, the TV is designed to move through whether it's an HDMI input, that's an app. A TV broadcast, that's an app. A recorded thing, that's an app. Uh, you know, uh, Netflix is an app. iPlay is an app. And so therefore, the television, you know, it's the first platform I've ever seen where it genuinely feels like it is an integral part of the television yeah. and not just something that's been added on after the fact to try and give a certain degree of internet capability to something that's already, you know, an established um, um, technology. Okay, so the purpose of this trip that I was on last week was to go behind the scenes and see exactly uh, how they've come up with this system. And, and as you say, Steve, everything's treated as an app. So that's one of the key points. Uh, gone is the days where you needed the input button. And and that's one of the things that used to confuse everybody. Even AV enthusiasts used to be confused about the input button. You know, How do I switch from the screen I'm in now to the screen that I want? And it was usually two or three button presses. Um mm to get to where you wanted to get to, uh, to to get the device or whatever. So it, everything is treated as an app, so everything is available on the home screen. So all you have to do is press home, it brings it up, you then just select what it is that you want. And the top six, uh, is it top six? Yeah, top six is displayed on the screen in a line. So if you don't have a magic remote, you can use a normal remote control and it's still pretty, pretty quick and, and pain-free to to get what you want to get. So the purpose of this trip was to find out about the design and, and how they managed to simplify things. And if people don't know, WebOS was a HP technology, which LG bought uh, March of last year. And they bought that after about nine months of, of previous development with the team. So they took about 100 employees over into LG. Uh, they took over the office in Silicon Valley, turned it into the Silicon Valley lab. And that's where they develop uh, all the WebOS stuff, all the SDK stuff. Um, and it's how you, you would imagine an office in Silicon Valley. Uh, you write on the walls when you have an idea, so all the walls are white, and you use uh, uh, whiteboard markers to write on the walls. There's bean bags, there's little areas that would where you can... never, ever work in Europe. No, Just it so. wouldn't. Because <laughs> the first thing someone would do would be to draw a giant cock, wouldn't it? <laughs> Well, the first thing I do. I'm sorry, it's, it's like an unwritten rule. Wherever two men and a marker pen are gathered together in one place, a crudely drawn cock must result. It's just how it works. I'm sorry. Hey, 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 hey. That's the crudely drawn, expertly drawn phallus, I think you'll find. Uh, no, I'm sorry. For me, it's a simple joy of, of, a, of a one line, especially with the three drips coming out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You know, <laughs> Picasso, eat your heart out. <laughs> Phil, did you leave a little, a little British offering before vacating <laughs> the premises? No, because it never crossed my mind. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, I don't know what oh, well, to say. Unfortunately, that means we can take you anywhere. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Don't leave us alone with a, with a whiteboard and a marker pen. There, there is a reason why I go on these trips, you know. <laughs> Very well, good reason. Do you remember the video we did at uh, CES a few years ago with the, with the yes, whiteboard? Yes, yes, yes. I you're... turned that into a rabbit. It I got pulled. That was clever. Yeah, it got pulled. Yeah. So anyway, getting back to the <laughs> the lab, 
as you can probably imagine, uh, Apple Macs everywhere, uh, people sitting on beanbags, people sitting at desks, uh, engineering panels, so, you know, TVs with the back hanging off with cables attached left, right and centre. Um, the kind of thing that you would expect to see in an engineering environment, um, in an ideas environment. Uh, they also had a, a, quite a strange room, but it was laid out like a living room where they had cameras and uh, see-through mirrors, you know, double view mirrors and so on. Uh, which they used to sounds a bit dodgy, frankly. Phil. <laughs> well, what they did was they, they used to uh, they use it to put people in, and basically, um, you know, people are there that think they're being tested on something, and they're being tested on something completely different. So they think they're there to find faults with stuff, and what what people what they're actually looking for is the little things that cause a problem. So uh, getting back to the input button. You know how do you, how do I get from A to B in the shortest step or or, or the you know the easiest most intuitive way, and that's what they use the facility for, and that's what they, they you know they test things and and they find problems that we probably don't even know exist, but by looking at how people use stuff and, and everybody's different in the way that we use technology, um, you could put three people with a, uh, three iPhone users together, and all three will have a, a different technique as to how they use that device. Um, you know which gestures. One uses their feet, and one uses. Their no, well, what gestures some people use, other people don't use, and um, you know they might get more advanced in terms of the functionality that they're using, whereas other people just use it as a phone to text. You know, so you know people have different experiences with technology, different levels of interactivity with technology, and this is what they look at and they try and pick it out and try and make it really simple. Um, and it's fascinating to see that and to see how anal they get with stuff like. How do I switch to this? And they scrutinise it and they look at it and they think of out-of-the-box ways to, to get around that. So, you know, that side of it was really quite um, quite interesting. Uh, so anyway, that, that was the that was the building. And then obviously we went back to um, WebOS and, and some of the stuff that LG are doing at the minute. So they're doing a, a, an awful lot of open-source SDK stuff, which is basically um, they're sending it up developers uh, put the SDK stuff in and basically the way that they've developed it is that it will work with every platform so not just an LG platform but it should work on Samsung TVs, Panasonic TVs Sony TVs etc so th that way is to, they're what they're trying to do there is open up the second screen environment uh, and open up the way that we can use mobile devices like tablets and like mobiles where you can throw stuff at the TV, throw images at the TV web pages that kind of thing so that was really quite interesting as well to see how uh, how connected everything was there because they had about nine different makes of TV and they were basically opening up applications and throwing them at the TVs and uh, and even stuff like uh, Roku boxes and stuff and, and they were taking everything that was thrown at them uh, using this this technology so really quite interesting about how they're approaching the whole smart TV thing because going back to what we said originally was Smart TV, it's always felt like it's been bolted on, whereas WebOS and the way that LG are approaching things, it's really intuitive. It's really simple. You know, you pick up the remote control and within a few seconds, you know what you're doing. You're racing around the screens, you're selecting things. And the other thing is the speed of the system. So even on the smallest and cheapest TV this year, which is going to be about 550 quid and it'll be a 32-inch TV, uh, and it won't have the same chip set as the big 4K TVs, but even on the, the smaller chipset, it's still lightning fast uh, with WebOS running. So you can go from Netflix to Skype to BBC iPlayer quicker than it would be 
pressing a button on a remote control to change channel. That's how quick it is. Really lightning fast. Um, and then finally, the, the, the last thing that, that um, this WebOS system does is this setup. Uh, and it's in the video, if you want to have a look at the video, which is on the, the homepage at the minute. Where, and I put the whole setup routine video in that within that video, which is using a character that they call Beanbird. I don't know where they get this from. Um, but it's a little cartoon character that basically takes everybody through this, the initial setup of the TV. And one of the clever things there is the setup box and um, your set-top box, sorry, and how you can integrate that into WebOS. And stuff like your Skybox, you can get the EPGs to, to tie in with WebOS and then you only need to use the one remote control, which was really, really interesting technology. And it should work with other set-top boxes as well and work with boxes like Roku boxes and so on. Just wrapping up on this, the whole WebOS thing, um, we're obviously going to get the TVs through for review, so you know, Mark or Steve is going to get a look at their system and, and review it. Um, and I'll be interested to see what you guys think living with it for for a week or so because as with these types of things you only have a certain amount of time where you can actually play about with the remote control and so on and try and find the issues with it but you know in the time that I, I used it I thought it was brilliant and and up against every other system that's out there at the minute it's head and shoulders above everything else and I think that's the way smart tv has to go I noticed actually from this, this recent batch of TVs that Samsung have uh, slightly changed their interface. So their splash screen now is very similar to what we saw, what we've seen from uh, the WebOS. It's like a card system going across oh, the bottom. It's never Mark, is it? They're, they're not copying, are they? I, I'm not. I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying anything. But it's very similar, and I'm sure it didn't look like that. At and CES. The, the remote control obviously has morphed into a magic remote as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it looks like LG are definitely setting the setting the pace in the smart TV stakes at the moment. Can't wait to try it. It's something that's always put me off. Uh, smart TV is how clunky it is, and, and the fact that you need to use the input button. It, it still annoys me with my Panasonic Plasma and switching from an Apple TV to a Roku box or whatever, having to use the input button. Yeah. You know, pressing the AV button and then cycling through what what you actually want to select. Whereas with with this LG, you know, it, it appears there as a card, so it's yeah. there on the screen. You just select it, and it's super quick. What's interesting is the way that they're approaching it from an open source perspective as well, because they're obviously making it more accessible to other manufacturers or developers. I think it's quite clever on LG's part. Yeah, and it's what it's what needs to happen, I think. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to have so many disparate, different systems that you know, what you want is stuff talking to each other. And the, mo the more stuff that talks to each other, the more people are going to use it. The more people use it, then the more that they get, they get their favorite system and they'll eventually pick who they think is the best. That was the whole point of WebOS, isn't it? That's why that's why they bought WebOS because because of its interoperability with other. Yeah, totally. Systems. I mean, I was in South Korea last year, and the 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 one thing that was made clear to us when we were out there was, um, yes, we're good at building hardware. We don't know what we're doing with software, and we really need help with software. And that's that's not just LG; that's every manufacturer. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, and they've done, they did something about it. They they went out and bought a software company and, and a really good software company, and they've implemented the system into their. Uh, their UI and it works and it it works really well and it's really clever and it's moved the whole smart TV thing on leaps and bounds I think I think they've got this year to themselves to be honest uh, so if you're interested in what we saw uh, on that LG trip uh, to Silicon Valley there is a video on the front page as well as a, a short write-up so go and have a look at that and before we wrap up on hardware uh, some reviews coming up this week Steve 
Yeah, I, I, well, we're recording tonight, Monday night, and tomorrow I get the Sony HW40 projector, their new sort of budget projector, £1,800. Um, so I get that in for review tomorrow, so hopefully there'll be a review up within the next week. I'm um, looking forward to seeing how that performs at such an attractive price point. And I've also got a Blu-ray player from LG, the BP740, which I think is their flagship for this year. Um, obviously, 4K upscaling is, part, is, you know, is pretty much standard now. Um, but yeah, it looks a very attractive looking player and um, interesting to see how it performs. All right, all right. Um, well, if I can drag myself away from House of Cards, I might write a review of the uh, the Samsung 4K TV, the uh, UH8500. Uh, nearly finished uh, LG, um, their new flagship soundbar, which is, I believe, uh, NB5540. <laughs> I'm sure just the mark. Possibly. <laughs> just make up a number. No yeah, I do. Mark. That's generally what I do. Um, <laughs> you just got the Samsung yeah. wrong, number wrong because it's HU8500. There you go. But the, yes, that's the immediate future. And I've also got the uh, LG sound plate thing. Good for you. Uh, yes. And Ed, what's coming up this month? I've got in the not too distant future, unusually for me, a review is going to appear before nine minutes before the end of the month. <laughs> and it's a very interesting alternative to a soundbar. And that's all I'm going to say at the moment. I don't want to spoil the surprise. The set of speakers. Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, no, no. Wouldn't it, if I just said, yeah, it's a set of speakers, it's a bit more complicated than that. And it's a bit okay. more interesting. It's a crudely drawn phallus. Is it a Do you know what? I have, actually reviewed, I have actually reviewed an audio desk in the past. I thought yeah. you were going to say an audio phallus. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's yet to happen. But the, 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 my career is hopefully, uh, hopefully but young in that regard. Who, who knows what, what, what the future holds. Um, later on in the Month. Hopefully, I've got a speaker package from Quadral and two other wonderful things. Hopefully, which I'll probably work out um, in the uh, immediate aftermath of the Munich show, which happens this weekend. Which, regrettably, I'm not going to this time because um, I've sort of got sort of parental responsibilities and stuff. So uh, uh, we'll see how that goes. But no, trust me, you'll have four magnificent things before the end of the month. But there's one coming up quite soon, which I think you'll find quite interesting. Just saying. Okay, well, uh, that wraps up the hardware for this week, and we'll be back in a sec with Games News. Uh, Right, so cracking on, Games News. uh, What is the Games News this week, Mark? Um, Well, basically, we did a podcast, and in that, we discussed uh, Star Wars canon and what that means for the uh, games going forwards. Um, E3 rumours and loose predictions. That was a, a, a rather rambling discussion that hopefully gets edited down. Uh, touch on a little bit of Lego daftness and we discuss uh, the Call of Duty announcement. Okay. And when is well, that due? Uh, today, if we're assuming that today is Wednesday. Okay, so uh, the Games Podcast, it might be out on the 14th, it might be out on the, on the 15th. We haven't decided yet. Is that what we're saying? Right, okay. Well, I'm going to make an executive decision. It's going out on the 15th. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. So what do you think of that then, Mark? Uh, I think there's going to be a nerd fight. A nerd <laughs> fight? <laughs> there can be gangs of villagers with uh, irate ge- games podcast fans with pitchforks <laughs> and burning torches outside of Phil's flat. What, all three of them? <laughs> I'll bring my Force Effects lightsaber. <laughs> oh, come on, we're supposed to be on message these days. This is terrible. Right, so there's a games podcast out. It may be out on Wednesday, it may be out on Thursday. We haven't decided yet. I made an executive decision, but I'm now thinking twice about it. So uh, come back in a bit and we'll talk about movies. (laughs) 
Right, I suppose we better talk about movies then. Um, right then, what's at the cinema, Steve? This week I saw Bad Neighbours, which uh, is actually called Neighbours in America, um, but was retitled Bad Neighbours in the UK and Australia, presumably so people didn't think it was a film version of the Aussie soap Neighbours. I wish they hadn't done that. I wish people had gone to the cinema thinking it was, because it would have been really funny. Because uh, one of the actors in it is Rose Byrne, who's an Aussie anyway, and playing Aussie in the film. I'd love to have seen a bunch of Neighbours fans sitting there as the first knob gag, metaphorically and literally hit them in the face. Um, it's basically a film... Yeah, the, the concept essentially is that a young married couple with a, with a, with a young child, a baby, um, they move into their new home and then Animal House move into the house next door. So you get a, a frat house basically moves in. Um, Zach Efron is the president of the frat and Dave Franco, who is James Franco's younger brother, is the sort of vice president. And the young couple are Rose Byrne and, and um, Seth Rogen. And it's kind of a bit of role reversal because uh, normally Seth Rogen would be kind of like the um, out of control stoner and, and Zac Efron is, is sort of the, the kind of clean, good, clean image, you know, good boy from things like High School Musical. But in this, um, Zac Efron's playing the kind of, you know, the stoner and the, and the sort of rather a filthy individual. And Seth Rogen is playing the kind of nice guy. Um, to be fair to the film, whilst I think you're meant to sympathise with the, with the couple predominantly, they actually don't, they do kind of play it quite level-handed. They don't make one out to be the villain and the other one to be the, the victim as much as a, a series of misunderstandings, which end up with this war breaking out between the two houses to try and, you know, basically, well, the, the young couple want to get rid of the, the frat house because they, they can't sell the place unless they sell it to the university and they're going to get half their value back uh, and they can't get to sleep at night because of the noise that the frat house is making. So very, 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 set pieces you know ensue it's um it's only a 15 certificate but it is really filthy at times um funny in places not as funny i think as it should be uh you know i kind of think it could have been funnier but um there's definitely some big laugh out loud gags in there there's an awful lot of cock jokes uh and knob gags and and that kind of thing oh, well we'll, um, we'll all enjoy that then <laughs> oh well, yeah. Who doesn't like a knob? Sold it, sold it. Right. So, uh, what was the score? Shed load of swearing. I'll tell you one thing that's interesting though is, is that it opened technically on Friday. The I'm this down actually. Friday the third of May was its technically its opening date, but it started doing preview screenings on Saturday the 27th of April. So basically, its opening weekend lasted nine days uh, in a desperate attempt to try and get the, into the top of the box office charts before, you know, for their opening weekend, which I thought was a bit sneaky. Uh, I'd probably give it seven out of ten. It, it's, it is quite humorous in places, and I do like a good knob gag, so there you go. Okay, uh, quickly, Blu-rays released uh, next week. Which... We've got The Wolf of Wall Street, uh, which I reviewed on one of the earlier podcasts. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio playing uh, a broker, basically, uh, based upon a true story. Uh, it got a lot of stick at the time it came out because it's you know it is not exactly pornographic, but there is a lot of sex in it, a lot of swearing, a lot of bad behaviour. I thoroughly enjoyed it personally. Uh, it was really funny. Uh, there's Orange Is the New Black, which is um, a Netflix series. I think we mentioned it earlier on this podcast. Um, and obviously, if you don't have Netflix and you want to buy it on Blu-ray, you're welcome to do that. Or you can just watch it on Netflix for five ninety nine a month. Um, <laughs> Six ninety nine now. <laughs> <laughs> Not that we're plugging Netflix in any way in this edition, are we? <laughs> um, <laughs> that was, um, it was, wasn't it? It was almost an advert. I've managed to say, I have again. watched Orange is the New Black and it is excellent. I thought it was really funny. It's about a woman, a young middle class woman who ends up getting sent to prison for something she did years ago. Uh, and it's her experiences in prison. It is it is genuinely laugh out that funny at times uh, and quite moving in places as well. I really enjoyed it. Season two, it will be on Netflix in June. So if you want to catch up, 5 99 
Sign up now, people. Sign up now. Right. I just like to point out we are not sponsored by Netflix, at least not yet. No, no, we'll, we'll balance <laughs> no. it. We'll balance it up. We can. We'll get yeah. Ed doing a bit on Spotify in a bit. Still pushing for a lager sponsor. If anyone's anyone's listening, I mean, obviously Sapporo failed to answer the call. I'm actually enjoying a lek at the moment from Poland. Okay, and Blu-rays. Come uh, on, we're uh, running out of time. Theatre of Blood, uh, which is a Vincent Price movie, and Nosferatu, the 1979 remake, as opposed to the original uh, 1920s um, version. Um, of those, I would obviously recommend buying The Wolf of Wall Street because I think it's very funny. Okay, and it's now time to queue up the music, and it's Mark's AV Snack. Right, we seem to be running behind, so I shall speak as fast as I possibly can. Um, spurious tie in with the movie coats for this week uh, that was Mad Max 2. Uh, so we're going Mad Max, which is pretty pathetic even by my standards. Um, so this is something I make on a weekly basis because it sneaks some vegetables into my kids. Uh, so there's an optional stage here. Um, start with sweating some onions, peppers and mushrooms in a pan with some uh, garlic and chili flakes to taste. Um, when that's all softened down, squirt in a tablespoon of tomato puree. And if you're trying to please the kids, maybe uh, a dessert spoonful of ketchup just to sweeten it all up. Um, add in your spices which are coriander and cumin um, cook that for sort of two or three minutes till the spices cook out uh, a little bit of water into a blender if you want to sneak the vegetables into your children else you can just leave them whole at this point chuck in some chicken or meat of your choice and uh, stick them on some uh, fajitas fold it up neatly so it doesn't all seep out while you're watching your movie sprinkle some cheese on top if you want uh, maybe some grated onion um, there you go that's it. Okay. So and this is going to require a fork again, isn't it? No. So you fold it up just, to like a little package. Don't you? you just said sprinkled cheese and stuff on it. That's going to make yeah, right. Mess with my home cinema. No, don't don't just sprinkle don't it in when you're in the, the cinema. Do it do it in the food. kitchen and take a plate with you, you numbskulls. I know, but I don't want to get stuff on my fingers and then touch the remote control. <laughs> You've got to learn how to fold them properly, haven't you? Like yeah, and I had a sausage roll. Listen, but right, I had a, I made those sausage rolls the other week, and I then watched a movie and nothing yeah, bad happened. Yeah. So you got to learn how to fold it, Steve. So you know, you're, you're always telling us you're always telling us about Japanese culture. Learn some origami. Yeah, go online, look the up. The thing is that Mark it. doesn't sit in a pitch black room. Well, if I'm in the home cinema, that's the environment we're in. There's more people in the world than you, Steve, so uh, let's, <laughs> let's move on. Most people can see in their own living room. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, you've got the light from the screen. <laughs> Come on. Put a headshot on. Oh, you just sit there in the pitch black eating yeah. <laughs> with nothing on. <laughs> that's a horrifying image it is it is so uh let's just have five minutes okay welcome back and uh very quickly we're we're gonna discuss this because it was raised last week and unfortunately we ran out of time and um we have 10 minutes left on this podcast to discuss this. I'm sure this is going to go on and on and on. Uh, but I'm going to go Ed first with this. It is a question that was raised on the forums. I'm not sure 
um, how this particular thread is still performing. It was in general chat. Uh, maybe somebody could do some research while Ed answers this and uh, also find out who started it because we don't have that written down. And I'd like to give a name. Porn, porn power, pro, sorry, prone power. <laughs> Freudian, the, the mother of all Freudian slips. <laughs> Why is it when I why is it when I open up this thread I'm met with a pair of lovely breasts? Yeah, well I see is that lovely girl's knockers, you know. <laughs> uh, anyway, prawn power uh started the thread and basically he asked the question, would you rather be eaten by a crocodile or a shark? Uh, Ed, let's go to you. Hmm. Um so I'm approaching this from a position of I'm not going to survive this. I just have to select which one's gonna kill me. Yeah, and, and probably which one's gonna kill you the quickest, I would imagine. Crocodile. Definitely crocodile. Really? Uh, saltwater crocodiles do not mess about. You are far less likely yeah, but to spend to... any time thinking about, oh gosh, I've, there go my limbs. Yeah, but he's, he's still got to drown you. Yeah, but not they do the death well, roll, don't they? they yeah, yeah they, they, do, they can do that, but they can also... And then you're out, the case, aren't you? In the case of mammals of, of you know, okay, I'm a, re- a relatively fat bloke, but nonetheless, they can also asphyxiate by actually jamming you down... There. Right. Okay. So, so you would rather have that than a shark come up and take a chunk out of you, which you didn't really feel. It takes your heart rate and you bleed out, and oh, you well, don't really have, you, feel that, any that, pain. That, that your conditions are only if it takes an artery out, and actually, well, that's... It, well, it doesn't matter if it bites a leg off. It, if it bites you in half, it's gonna you're gonna bleed out. What if it swallows I, your whole? Um, well, if it swallows your whole, then it's pretty quick, isn't it? Is it? I don't know. Is it just the digestive juices that get you then, and it takes weeks? It could be awful. Be you're you're not going to be alive for you, weeks. This is not bitten. Pinocchio where you're alive inside the, the, the whale. It's <laughs> not consumed bitten. in the solar <laughs> for a thousand years. You're absolutely right. If your femoral, very artery, if your femoral artery gets nicked, yeah, you're in a, a serious spot of bother. But if, and it, well, the moment that you start heading towards the knee... You can, you know, people actually manage to survive losing legs. So you'll spend a bit of time in considerable distress with a leg missing. Um, yeah, only, no. only if the bleeding is stemmed. Only. Because you're still, you're cutting that artery if you're taking a leg yeah. or an arm. Or so, right, okay, so Ed's going crocodile. Steve? Depends on, if it's a big shark, <laughs> just take you whole. Well, you're like not getting big, killed by a dog shark. <laughs> oh, no, it might be, you know, like a tiger shark, something like that. Yeah, they're still big. Well, I don't spend my entire life watching Discovery Channel, so I whatever. Do. I do. As the <laughs> I know Z. you do, Phil. Dark expert. After after air crash invest after air crash investigation, I am an expert on sharks. <laughs> but I have seen a crocodile eating a um, like an antelope or something, drinking from from some water, and you didn't even know the thing was in there. It's like under the surface, just little eyes poking out in its little nostrils, and then comes out, and takes the whole thing by the head. As Ed pointed out, that kind of business that's quick. And you don't even know they're coming. It's just bang, gone. So, um, so what are you going for? Me, 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 me. What, what, what actually, what don't don't do that one. Don't you dare do that. That could be an, an amazing torture, couldn't it? You stick someone in a tank with a head above the water and like three dogfish, and they're just slowly consumed as they putrefy by bottom feeders. <laughs> that would be pretty. <laughs> Human centipede, <laughs> eat your heart out. I mean, admittedly, it'd be quite a long film. But nonetheless, the bomb all right. Back. Well, I know Mr. Botwright's done his homework. He's, he was dying to answer this last week because he's done all his research. So, Mark, go on. I'm not answered the question yet. I'm I'm sick of waiting on you. Come on, Mark, your turn. Crocodile. Oh, I'm going to go crocodile as well. I'm afraid. Uh, I, I'm basing mine on where I am. 
which is I'm assuming if I'm if I'm taken by a shark, I'm in fairly deep water, and uh, I'm not too keen on that. Um, also, uh, I, I think the the crocodile probably would finish me off quicker. Um, I don't like the idea of making it back to shore by the shark attack and being kind of you know some kind of jigsaw puzzle of a person. It's tough. I like the idea that if I'm if I'm eaten by a crocodile, at least I can see the land. And and you will end up being a splendid wallet or pair of boots. Yes. Uh, and also, if, if I'm in the sea, then I'm wearing trunks or shorts, and no one dies in dignity like that. <laughs> yeah. So it all uh, depends on where you are, basically. So what have you been like? Well, yeah, because neither of them are in my living room, are they? <laughs> oh, a crocodile could get into a living room, though, couldn't he? <laughs> In what Theoretic circumstances would that crocodile It's unlikely, but say say a tornado picks one up, right, <laughs> drops it on your roof. Right, your okay, roof. okay, Steve. Right, Hodge. Uh, on the basis that I don't think I've ever really seen a crocodile in real life, I'd like, I think I'll choose the crocodile. Just so I can tick it off the list as I go. His last so words were. I like, I've always quite keep it keen on them. That's it. Big bugger. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I quite like crocodile. Uh, you know, as a, to look at, I find them quite interesting. I don't like sharks. Not keen on piss off. Not making a meal out of me. Crocodile. Ooh, and I've eaten croc. And I've eaten croc. I've eaten crocodile. It was quite tasty. It depends on. It depends on the shark, doesn't it? You know, there'd be the novelty factor. A goblin shark. I mean, admittedly, you'd have to. You'd probably be dead anyway because you'd have sunk quite a long way under the sea. But you see one of the, and a frilled shark. I mean, no, I'm, not a sh- I'm no shark expert. Like I said. Honest to God, do a Google search on a frilled shark. It, it's like um, the the Sci-Fi Channel got together and had a meeting <laughs> and actually created a, a real animal. It's just the most preposterous looking thing in the history. It's just going. So oh, no, I don't okay. like the look of that either. No. Well, I'm gonna go shark yeah. rather than crocodile because cro- that crocodile it doesn't kill you like that instantly. Uh, it either pulls your limb off or it pulls you under the water and drowns you. I'd rather be I'd rather be eaten by a shark. I think. Do you know what a bizarre fact? My wife told me this. Do you know why your life flashes before you as you start to drown? Uh, no, I've never had that happen. Well, the reason being is that what happens is your brain, in situations of immense peril, starts to search through your retrievable memories for a situation where you overcame the problem that was facing you. Um, and as generally people only drown once, there's no um, point of reference. So you get to see everything and then you drown. A bit like a Windows restore point. So is it only when you're drowning? I thought it was like any kind of situation like that. So car well, no, but your whole life... Well, again, car crash. I don't know about you. But people, generally speaking, yeah, yeah fatal road accident. Again, the, the clues in the word fatal. Um, yeah, you only... You well, no, it can't be fatal. In, well, because in, how do we know then if someone hasn't survived? And so, do you know what? My whole life well, okay. Just, God, it's it was the boring. Point, it's when you have no previous <clears throat> point of reference to an event. Most people have had some kind of near miss in a car or something like that. Yeah, my life whereas, not flash I, I can't, me, I can't remember most of it. I can't say I've ever had my life flash before me, so I've obviously never been in. Wouldn't take long. There's <laughs> oh. <laughs> no need for that, is Says Mr. Withers, who can't f-ing remember any of his. That's true, but we apart, apart from the it's huge... somewhere deep in my subconscious, right? So He does remember like a, he was in An Hong interesting Kong. one, Reela. <laughs> so would you want to fight them between a crocodile and a shark? Which one would you win? Oh, crocodile. Oh, well, it, oh, I guess obviously it depends on the depends. terrain that they're fighting yeah. on, but nonetheless, they are. Okay, well, he, well, here's here's one that has happened. Rather than you know talking about shit that's never likely to happen, uh, a shark or an orca, great white or an orca, 
good when Orcs in the fight. generally win that, don't they? But they are bigger and they normally operate in packs, which sharks don't. Well, there's actually video footage uh, just off the uh, an island just off the US, which was full of tourists, and there's video of a orca uh, approaching a great white shark, turning it upside down, because when you turn a shark upside down, what happens, Ed? It drowns. Tonica immobilization, it's called. And uh, basically drowns the shark. <laughs> because it, it, it must be said that there are various creatures that do do give sharks an entirely hard time. There was a documentary on um, sperm whales years ago, BBC one, and um, uh, it, it was mainly shot in the Caribbean, where they, they sort of go, the, one of the areas where they, they breed. And, you know, obviously they then disappear off quite deep to go and find squid and stuff like that. And they left this calf just, you know, biffing around near the surface and these these you know these sharks home in you think oh well this is only going to end up one way and this shark's coming in towards this pup and basically one of the adult sperm whales just climbs vertically and then just bites it in half <laughs> it's like i didn't see that coming <laughs> it's like well, yeah all right that was quite cool seem to be able to give sharks a hard time but crocodiles you can do i mean they they don't i mean they habitually during sort of like mating scraps and territorial scraps bite each other's legs off and it doesn't seem to cause them any significant impediment they just keep going i mean let's not forget they also obviously both species quite happily survived the uh, event that you know caused the dinosaurs to go to, to become extinct and the difference is that sharks did, had the excuse of being in the sea crocodiles were biffing around in you know somewhere near the land and still managed to survive admittedly they've got a lot smaller since then but nonetheless you know that's quite quite hardcore yeah so just wrapping up on this one uh, so upon uh, powers uh, thread there he put a, a vote up and the votes were 15% for the crocodile and a massive 85% would rather get eaten by a shark. Was it eaten by or killed by? Eaten. eaten. Oh, right. Well, then I'm changing it then. I'll change it to shark. <laughs> so why would you change it? Well, because uh, well, sharper teeth. I, I, re- I, I, reckon d- I don't know about that. Lots of teeth, actually. No, I'm thinking a great white would take several chunks out of me before I really, really noticed it. Adrenaline would kick in. Well, that's, that's, most of the survivors say that. They, they didn't feel anything. They just felt a, a thump. They didn't feel the leg going. They just looked down and it was gone. Well, and on that cheery thought. Yeah. <laughs> on that bombshell. I'm thinking of the USS Indianapolis speech, though, right now. Yeah. Why? Well, yeah. well, well, the Indianapolis delivered the second atomic bomb to um, the island of Guam. Yes. And on the way, right at the end of the Second World War, it was then hit by... Yes, we know this, we know this, Ed, because we've seen the film and he tells us that. Well, I haven't. Um, You've never seen Jaws? I've never seen Jaws. I just that know was, what happened to That was in Jaws. Well, Quint's, Quint's whole monologue is about the USS Indianapolis delivering the bomb. It was written by John Millius. Yeah. And then it, it was delivering like, the bomb or, or it drops the bomb on it? No, no, no the they were delivering the airfield. bomb to the airfield in, on right. their ship, the USS Indianapolis, and they got sunk, they got torpedoed. And it, was part of my, it was actually part of my dissertation, which I did. And on. you'd never seen f***ing Jaws? No, it wasn't really part of my research, Phil. Uh, anyway, so that unfortunately uh, means the end of the AV Forums podcast uh, just for this week. So my thanks to Steve Withers. He lives now only in my memories. Mark Hodgkinson. Don't touch, please. That's a precision instrument. Mark Botwright. Just walk away. 
And Ed Selly. I'm gravely disappointed. Again, you have made me unleash my dogs of war. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmarkavforums.com for the latest reviews, news and video. Plus, why not leave us a rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening. And we'll see you again next Wednesday. Oh,